the end of the matter. This year, I've truly enjoyed combing through the book of Ecclesiastes with you. As you wrap up 2021 and wrap up this book of Ecclesiastes, I'd like to close our study while focusing on the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Solomon begins the chapter by giving us one of the most poetic descriptions of old age and death that has ever been written. He shows us that as we age, the things that once produced delight and pleasure no longer do so. Every moment can become a burden. I'd like to compare that to the state of this world, which is old and ready to die. The things that were once innocent and produced joy are now corrupt. Relationships, once the thing that held society together, are now dysfunctional and tear society apart. An upright man or a woman is a rare thing to find. But it is in the midst of this gloom that Solomon brings out the main point of this entire book. It teaches us how to conduct ourselves throughout life and I believe is a strong message for us as part of the body of Jesus Christ. Ecclesiastes 12, 13-14 says, Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God shall bring every work into judgment with every secret thing, whether it be good or whether it be evil. I'd actually like to focus on verse 14 first, which is where God speaks about bringing everything into judgment. We all know the day of judgment is when Christ returns to take up his throne. See Psalm 98 verses 8 to 9. As we heard this morning in service, his coming is the ultimate showdown, bringing judgment to the Antichrist and the false church while establishing the reign of the saints and the redeemed of Israel. As Christ comes from glory, seven thunders utter their voices according to Revelations 10:4. Part of what they contain is the revealed name of Jesus Christ, the new name that he will receive according to Revelations 3:12 and Revelations 19:12. Now remember, a name signifies a ministry or the holding of a particular office. For example, Joseph's name was changed to Zaphnath Paneah, which means the man to whom mysteries or secret things are revealed. He was given that name when he entered a new phase of his life and of his ministry. This is so important because you must understand that some names can only be uttered at specific times in world history. Let me make this a little clearer. Brother Branham makes a great statement here when he says that expression. He said, if you only knew, only knew the numerology of the Bible and know what Elvis or, or Ricky means according to the scripture. Uh-huh. Just like, why did Jesus, you say, there's nothing to that, your name. There isn't. That name could only come in this last days for this last days people. He's speaking about the name Elvis in particular. He says that name could not be spoken till this day. That's the reason we got this hellish thing we got in the earth today because of such things. The whole human race is corrupted. It, it's gone, see, and that's why it is. That's a very strong statement from Christ as the mystery of God revealed. And I want to pause here. This is actually, if you're reading my podcast, um, I'm reading along on the website. This segment is actually not there, but I want to just pause here for a moment just to insert something here, uh, just to lay a little bit of background and kind of explain where he's coming from with this. Uh, Elvis Presley, as many of you know, he was a he grew up in a Pentecostal church and he's a very popular singer and music artist uh, in the 1950s and 60s. And one of the things that made Elvis unique and in fact banned in many places was the vulgar sexual undertones to his uh, to his performances. It was so crude that many times women in the audience would rip off their underwear and throw it on stage for him to autograph. Now, I hate to say that, but that's the truth. And the problem was because he grew up in a Pentecostal church, he was the blend between the world and the Christian Christianity. So prior to this, 
the uh, the world many Christians would not entertain or listen to worldly entertainers as it was called and vice versa if you were in the world and not serving God you wouldn't really go to listen to a lot of Christian singers Elvis represented the perfect blend between the world and Christianity because he appealed to both sides and it was a very smart business move but it also was a reflection of a deeper dynamic that was coming out of hell which was the idea of blending Christianity with the world, Christianity with sin. And by merging the two over, we find that Satan has always used this approach from since the beginning, where he had in the Nicolaitan church, if you remember back our study in the church ages, you will recall that Satan advanced his cause by mixing truth with error, by having people conform and still have a form of truth or religious religiousness, and mixing in elements of the world that were appealing to the world to therefore reach a greater audience and we see that elvis and a lot of these people came along in as personifications of that idea and that thought and through their influence they set the stage for a lot of the music artists that we have going on in our world today and not only forget the music but a lot of the conglomeration the mixture and the hybridization between truth and error so these things are very powerful and as you you have to understand that god allows things to happen to further his overall cause. And what God is trying to do is get people, men and women, to be fully committed to him, fully separate unto him, without mixing in elements of this world. And that's our greatest challenge as Christians, is to keep ourselves pure, undefiled before God. So I wanted to pause and bring that background in here because he says here, the whole human race is corrupted. See, and he blames it. He brings it on and says, that's why it is. So to go back to my original point here that I was making, just I just wanted to throw that in to make some background. And now I'd like to continue. My point in sharing this is that there are patterns and rules to the spiritual world, just like there are in the natural world. The new name of Jesus Christ, whatever it will be, will be so glorious that it will be only given by the divine utterance of God at his return. Now, names in God's kingdom aren't just often Harry or Susie. When Moses asked the Lord to show his glory, God went before him, announcing his name. Let's take a look at what happened. Exodus 34, verses 5 to 7. And the Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. And the Lord passed by before him and proclaimed, that's shouted or cried, the Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abundant in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, and that will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and upon the children's children unto the third and to the fourth generation. Now, the Bible said that was the name of the Lord that he proclaimed. Think about that, church. That doesn't sound like Susie or Harry. That sounds like character. Can't you just imagine that voice proclaiming or thundering out in blast after blast? The Lord, boom, merciful and gracious, boom, boom, and it goes on. You see, as I tried to explain this morning, the name of God reflects the character of God, which is why when he came as a savior, his name was Jesus, which means Jehovah Savior. Jehovah, that Jehovah part is the Lord, like we just said here in Exodus, it is the Lord, the great God, the Almighty, such and such. So his name, Jesus, that Jehovah part aspect of it brings in that whole aspect of fatherhood, God the Father. But what about when he comes to uh, comes as king to judge the world? Oh, it's so important to realize that God continues to reveal himself to his people, both now and in the world that is to come. None dare try to guess what he will be called, for they will be wrong. That is a sovereign secret that God will reveal when he comes again. 
Now, I want to go a little deeper if it's all right, and just pause this podcast wherever you'd like and go study and pray because we love to talk about the Lord and sometimes we need to rest our minds a little between thoughts. Let's talk about these thunders just a little bit further. These thunders utter at the coming of the Lord Jesus. Therefore, we see that they do bring in themselves faith for the rapture. Now, again, remember that the bride of Christ is now waiting for his coming. We're not waiting for a specific doctrine. We're not waiting for a new movement. We are waiting for the revealing of the Lord from glory, Acts 3.21. Now, when God pulls his bride out from this world and reveals himself to her in the skies, of course, it's going to be a rapturing faith. Of course. Of course, she needs to have that word revealed to her. Of course, she needs to understand how to address him and how to call him because she is crowning him, as I, I think I referenced this morning, she is crowning him King of Kings and Lord of Lords. How can she crown him if she doesn't know what his name is? Think about that, brothers and sisters. So I hope you understand as we're working our way through this, how there are so many different thoughts about these things. And you hear Brother Branham many times saying one thing over here and another thing over here. My goal in presenting this to you is just to help bring things together and as is a big part of my ministry to bring fill in these gaps a little bit to help you so you can bring things together and see for yourselves what God is looking for from you and from me. Now let's go a little further. His coming from glory is to return to earth and become the judge according to Revelations 10:4, Isaiah 40 verse 5 and others. That is the purpose of Christ's return. He is coming from glory to return to earth and become the king and the judge. On his way as he descends, he meets his bride in the middle of the air. Remember, he doesn't meet his bride on the earth. He meets his bride in midair. We go up to meet him, according to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 17. And he reveals himself to her as just as the two witnesses, Moses and Elijah, are declaring his name as Jesus to the Jewish remnant. Now, I want you to see Revelation 7, Revelations 14, and Zechariah chapter 4. Okay, let me say that statement again to make sure it's clear. While Christ is descending, he meets his bride in the middle of the air. He's coming for her. So he's meeting her in the middle of the air, and he reveals himself to her. The two of them have their wedding supper, as it were, in the sky. And at the same time, those two witnesses, Moses and Elijah, are doing his work on earth, declaring his name as Jesus to the Jewish remnant. They are identifying him, the Son of God. Why did the two witnesses declare him to be Jesus? That's their ministry. Because he has come to bring salvation unto Israel, so he is still the Savior. Remember the message, I believe we went through it, where we I showed to you that Jesus Christ, the Jewish remnant, has to meet or fill up that book of redemption. He's still the Savior to save the part of Israel. As the Bible teaches us that he will save Israel from their sins. The perfection of the word cannot be broken. To the Gentiles who have rejected him, Jesus Christ is the judge. But to Israel, who has been longing for the Messiah, Christ is revealed as the Savior, as Jesus. Zechariah writes in Zechariah 13:1, On that day there shall be a fountain opened for the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem to cleanse them from sin and uncleanness. While this revealing is going on, the bride of Christ is waiting in the heavenly atmospheres just above the earth. Remember that Joseph revealed himself to his brothers without his wife being present. Do you remember that? So Christ reveals himself to the elected of Israel while the bride waits in the heavenly atmospheres just above the earth. Again, remember, the bride is not caught up into the heavens of heavens. This rapture takes the bride from earth to the middle of the sky, as the Bible says, to meet him in midair, just above the rims of this earth. Because again, we are coming to earth to rule and to reign, not going to heaven. 
Think about that. So Christ reveals himself to the elected of Israel while the bride waits in the heavens just above the world. Zechariah shows us that the saints will accompany Christ, but he is revealed privately to the elect out of Israel. The two prophets turn the hearts of the elected of Israel from the faith of the fathers to the children under the anointing of Elijah. And here it's Malachi 4, verse 5 to 6. I know a lot of times we Gentiles look at that scripture and we identify with it, which we should. But I'd like you to also remember that Malachi 4 also relates back to bring a part of this over to Israel. If you notice the ministry of the seventh angel, which we believe to be Brother Branham, or a man anointed with the spirit of Elijah, as we know, actually occurs during the calling out of the 144,000 in Israel in Revelations 11. What is it? The same Elijah spirit that calls out a Gentile bride for Christ from creeds and empty religion calls out an elected group in Israel. For the Gentiles, there were hidden truths, such as the name of Jesus Christ, that were hidden in the Bible, lost to the church throughout the ages, and revealed in Brother Branham's ministry. Now, as that ministry comes to call out Israel, Christ, who is Lord of both Jew and Gentile, cries like a lion and the seven thunders, which are the voice of God, roar out their great secret. Isaiah prophesied what would happen just before the millennium. He asked, who has ever heard of such a thing? Who has ever seen such things? Can a nation be country be born in a day or a nation be brought forth in a moment? Yet no sooner is Zion in labor than she gives birth to her children. That's Isaiah 66 verse 8. Christ himself appears so they can see the scars in his hand, but his bride is not with him. This three and a half year period passes very quickly. Then after he is revealed and fights for Israel, king and queen come from glory to take over the world. There is definitely more to the thunders than what I have shared. Let us simply say that all the world will see the effects of their sounding. And the Lord shall be king over all the earth. In that day shall there be one Lord and his name, one. Zechariah 14.9. The conclusion. Now, that was quite a lot to park in, pack into that one verse in Ecclesiastes, but I'd like to now turn to the first part of our reading. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. When all is said and done, it's not so important whether you understand the thunders, the seals, or any of the deep mysteries of the Bible. My brothers and sisters, what matters is that we live the kind of Christian life that glorifies Jesus Christ in this time. Ecclesiastes begins with the search for meaning, for understanding to the deep things of life. Why do we die? What is life's purpose? And it ends with an answer, the perfect answer. Our whole purpose in this world is to fear the Lord and to show we love him by keeping his word. When he comes to judge the world, my prayer is that he will find you and I faithful to his call. Thank you for joining me in the study of the word. Lord willing, we'll begin a new book in 2022. May God bless you.